Hello and welcome to the Marvelous Duo. Welcome back to the Marvelous Duo, because we've been gone a while. It feels like we've been gone for seven years. <laughs> yeah, seven whole years. It's only been about six months yeah. since we released our last episode. Just being upfront with everybody, a lot happened. Life got hectic. We're still not back in our house after Hurricane Sally, so it's been a little hectic. But anyways, we're not here to talk about why we haven't uploaded our podcast. We're here to talk about Guardians of the Galaxy, which Guardians of the Galaxy was released in 2014 by Marvel Studios. Heck yeah. All right, we start Earth 1988. Space, the final frontier. Sorry, (laughs) Earth 1988. So we open on Peter Quill hanging out at a hospital. As As a child. As a child, yes listening to music on his Walkman, and... He's listening to his Awesome Mix Volume 1. That was made by his mother, who really liked music, but also he really liked music, as we see throughout the movie. He is listening to that, and his... I think it's his grandfather comes and takes him into the room where his mother is sick and dying, and she gives him a gift, and tells him about his father, who was an angel from the stars, I think is her description, or something like that. Right, and you can see Peter Quill is just very uncomfortable with everything that's happening. He doesn't want to open the present from his mom. His mom's dying. Like, I can't even imagine being in that situation. That just seems really stressful. Also, there are a lot of people in that hospital room as she's dying, and none of them are introduced. They're just family. They're not important. (laughs) They're nameless, faceless NPCs. Exactly. Yeah, the present that she gives him, she instructs him to open when she's gone. I'm assuming after she's passed. Right. The mom says that the dad is coming back for him to take care of him. But until then, the grandpa's going to watch him. Then she dies. After she asks him to take her hand and he doesn't. And he doesn't, yeah. He's a strange child, I suppose. But she dies and he runs outside and is immediately abducted by aliens. And then there's a tease in that thing that it is his father. Yes, There's an implication that it is his dad that is coming back to get him. And then we cut to 26 years later. We cut to Morag, some random planet, 26 years later, and we get one of the greatest sequences in movie history. Yes. Chris Pratt dancing through ruins to come and get your love. Fun fact, this scene was originally written with Hooked on a Feeling in mind, but James Gunn, the director, thought that Come and get your love fit better. I think he's right. I think it does work for this scene. Yeah, this is a classic scene. Like when you think of the movie, especially when I saw it in theaters the first time, when remembering the movie, I was like, oh yeah, this scene is what comes to mind. He's We've got the very rainy climate of Morag. So he's like dancing and skipping through puddles. And he's got this really cool, he's got his Star-Lord helmet, which is just super cool. And he's kicking random alien mouse creatures and picks one up and uses it as a microphone as he is singing to himself. It there, is phenomenal. There's also little tidbits throughout this where you see how intelligent Peter Quill is, where he's got a holograph of what the ruins used to look like. And he uses that holograph to get by the geyser yeah it's he's got like a device it's a temporal scanner and it like scans the area and shows him what it was so like it is it is a hologram of it but it's like he's got a literal device that that is showing it to him it's not like oh he happened to have this hologram it's like i've got this temporal scanner i can scan any area and see what it used to look like which is not used ever again right sadly but we also see that he still has the walkman because Mm -hmm. he uses it to listen to his music. Still listening to Awesome Mix Volume 1. And that's where we get our opening title screen is when he's dancing around, which is like so cool. And also it gives me, you know what it gives me? It gives me 
Indiana Jones vibes. It gives me sci-fi Indiana Jones. I feel like that's maybe kind of what they were going for, but yeah, it's it's great. That entire sequence is wonderful. So we see Peter Quill going after an orb of some sort that he's trying to steal, and some competition shows up that we find out works for Ronan. That's all we learn, just Ronan. They don't, we don't know who Ronan is at this point. But in, in that scene, we do get some pretty cool stuff. We see the different devices that he uses. Like he's got a ridiculously powerful magnet that he uses to get the orb out of this force field. He has like this orb that he's using for light, which we find out later is a disintegration grenade. Like he's just using that for light initially. <laughs> and of course we get the legendary outlaw line where he's trying to boost himself up when these guys jump him and uh, no one has heard of him because he's not actually a legendary outlaw. Right. And he goes by the name of Star-Lord and he is a ravager. He is part of Yondu's crew, which we meet Yondu a little later. And he is able to escape from Ronin's cronies and gets onto the Milano, his ship. And the same ship that he is driving is the same ship that abducted him as a child. But yeah, it is It is named the Milano now because it's named after Alyssa Milano, who according to James Gunn, is Peter Quill's uh, childhood crush. Makes sense. And we see that the Milano is very maneuverable. Like, it, it makes hairpin turns a lot. It's, it's a nice ship. I like the design of it. Yeah. We also see that Peter Quill is a ladies' man because this girl named Barit, who is, she's some sort of alien. She's pink. She's a pink lady. She's still on his ship. And Peter Quill forgot about her and was like, oh, you're still here. <laughs> Yeah, when she's when she shows up, she's actually wearing the t-shirt that he was wearing as a kid. Oop. Yep. We also get to see some things from Earth that I'm assuming he's picked up along the way or he brought with him. So we see a troll doll and his backpack in the ship. So that's pretty cool that cuz I don't think he had that troll doll on him. Yeah, it might have been in his backpack. Maybe, yeah. Who knows? But then we get to meet Yondu. Yeah, Yondu calls him up and yells at him because Peter Quill came and got this orb on his own when he was supposed to come with Yondu to get it. He's kind of going off on his own. Because he's trying to be Star-Lord. He doesn't want to be part of the Ravagers. He wants to be Star-Lord. Exactly. And we also get to see the Dark Aster for the first time, which is Ronan's ship. Yes. And Ronan is literally bathing in the blood of his enemies. Yeah, Ronan is hardcore and kind of freaky. And some of the casting in this movie really throws me off. Like, it's good, but thinking about the fact that underneath all of that blue makeup is the same guy that played Thranduil in the Hobbit movies is very jarring. I did not realize that that was the actor. What the heck? That is Lee Pace. What the heck? Yeah, he plays Ronan and Thranduil. It's strange sometimes. During this scene on the Dark Aster, we see that Ronan is working for Thanos. Thanos is actually mentioned this early on, and he's made a deal with Ronan that Thanos will destroy Xandar on behalf of Ronan. We also hear something about a Kree transmission, which we won't learn about the Kree in the Marvel Universe that has a major role in a Marvel movie until I think it's... Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel, it's, yeah. It's going to be a while before the Kree are really important. Ronin actually is Kree. Right. But he's really the only Kree that we deal with for a while, yeah. It's not until Captain Marvel that the Kree really become anything beyond just Ronin's race. I think we see one other Kree in this, in this movie, and it's someone telling Ronin, basically, like, we're at peace with Xandar, stop what you're doing. Right. 
which the peace treaty is what sets Ronan off because the Kree people are making a peace treaty with Xandar and apparently Xandar is responsible for destroying the home planet of the Kree. Is that what happened? I think maybe they killed Ronan's family or something like that. He's like, he's a zealot. He mm. is he's just a hardcore zealot and refuses to have peace. So he is working for Thanos who has promised to destroy Xandar, and that's really all he cares about. Who we don't see. They talk about Thanos, but we have not seen him in this movie yet. But we do see Thanos' daughters, Nebula and Gamora. They are... I don't remember the first scene that we actually see them in. It's when Ronan is talking to Thanos and his chair is turned around, and then they're standing... That's right. At the sides of Thanos' throne. And they, yeah, they go with Ronan to help him out. Correct. That's what it is. So we then go to Xandar, which is the capital of the Nova Empire. Yeah, and we see Rocket and Groot looking for bounties. And in that scene, we also get our Stan Lee cameo, where he is a Xandarian Casanova. His cameo was initially supposed to be later in the movie. He was going to be... In, in one of the collector's boxes, flipping off Groot. But the Disney executives did not like that, so instead they made him the Xandarian Casanova. Well, we get to see that Peter Quill is dropping off that orb that he <laughs> kind of, he, he kind of underhandedly stole the loot away from Yondu and his crew and is going to sell it to the broker on Xandar. So yeah. everybody, all of our players right now, Nebula and Gamora... Rocket and Groot and now Peter Quill, they're all kind of like converging on Xandar and they're all about to collide. Yeah. I really like the design of the broker. He reminds me of a hedgehog. Okay. Yeah. I don't know why. I think he might have some like quills on the back of his head or something, but I just really like that character's design. He's a, he's a fun one. But when he finds out that Ronan's men were trying to get this orb from Quill, he refuses the sale. He's like, I'm not going to deal with Ronan. And he kicks Quill out. So then Quill's like, well, I've got to figure out what to do with this. And Gamora is standing outside waiting for him because she's tracking down this orb as well. And they get into a fight. And After Quill tries to flirt with her and she is like, no thanks. <laughs> of course. That is, that is how he do. But in this scene, like in this whole fight scene, Zoe Saldana, the actress that plays Gamora, which again, very strange to think about, that Gamora is the same person as Uhura in the Star Trek movies. She almost broke Chris Pratt's ribs in this fight scene because when they were training and doing the choreography, both of them would wear padding so that they could actually hit each other. And the day that they filmed that scene... Chris Pratt forgot to wear his padding and didn't tell her because he figured that she would pull back a little bit during the fight. So she kicks him in the ribs and didn't break anything, but he did have a bruise for the rest of filming. Oh no. Yeah. Good times. And then Rocket and Groot get in on this fight because they see that there's a bounty on both of their heads, Gamora's and Peter Quill's. And (laughs) Rocket is not going to miss out on that money. So they get involved and Gamora ends up chopping off one of Groot's arms. (laughs) Very rude. But it'll grow back. It's fine. That's true. But their their little fight scene throughout the streets of Xandar has caused quite a commotion and the Nova Corps show up to capture everybody because they can't be having that civil unrest fighting in the streets and their ships are so cool because they are shaped like stars. Yeah, those are pretty cool. I kind of wish that they had given the Nova Corps powers like they have in the comics. Instead, they're just kind of 
people with cool technology that looks interesting. And this is not the first time that Peter Quill has been arrested because one of the guys that's, that arrests him makes a comment about how he's got a nickname. Doesn't remember it correctly. He doesn't call him Star-Lord. I think, I, I don't remember what it is, like Space Lord or something like that. And one of the officers is John C. Riley. It's very strange to see John C. Riley in a superhero movie. It doesn't seem like his, his usual casting, but he's good. He's still fun. Like, it's interesting. Yeah. So after that fight scene, we come to the, probably after rewatching this movie, is my favorite scene in this whole entire movie. We, we have this scene where they're all being processed in you know, the law enforcement. And we get these little tidbits that if you don't stop and pause the movie, you would miss out on. There is character stuff that is thrown in there. I'm going to go through those real quick if you don't mind. Go for it. You wrote them down. I did not. Okay. So the first one is we get Gamora. We find out that she is Xenoberi, which is, I'm assuming, her race. And one of the things on it is that she's the last survivor of her people. We find out in later movies that she's not actually, but Thanos did kidnap her as yeah. a child. It also lists a series of enhancements that she has to her body. And I'm going to list those real quick. So it's uh, she has a cybernetic skeleton, ocular and respiratory implants, enhanced neurosystem, and regeneration implant, which explains why Gamora is so good at what she does is because she regenerates faster than the normal person. Also, they list that Gamora was trained by the Mad Titan as a weapon, which one of the other names for Thanos is the Mad Titan. So then we move on to Rocket, um, who is listed as subject 89P13. And for some reason it says half word. I don't know if that was where he was or where he was manufactured or made into Rocket, but I do have a list of his enhancements. So he has enhanced hands and feet, AKA they gave him opposable thumbs. He has a cybernetic skeletal structure and he's genetically augmented to have a cerebral cortex. His associates are Groot and Lila. We don't ever know, find out who Lila is. Like that's never expounded upon. Who is Lila? And it also has a warning at the very end. It says he has a tendency to bite. The next one we have is Groot. We find out that his genus and species name is Flora Colossus and his origin is unknown. He has no enhancements and his known associates is Tybius Lark. Who is that? Who are these people that we don't know? The next one, the last one, is Peter Jason Quill. We find out what Peter Quill's middle name is Jason. He goes by Star-Lord and he's from Earth, which we know, but they call it Terra. His enhancements are that he has a translator implant in his neck. That is his only enhancement. And his associates are Yondu, Kraglin, who is played by Sean Gunn in the movies, and the Ravagers. So a fun thing about Peter Quill's portion of this, a couple of fun things about it. Firstly, the fact that his middle name is Jason is important to the comic version of the character. There's a big question of who his father is. We find out in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. In the comics, though, it is someone different. Well, it's been several different people, depending on the iteration, but one of them is the King of Spartax, which is never mentioned in the MCU, just a random planet known as Spartax, but the King of Spartax is named Jason. It's like J apostrophe S-O-N. So the fact that his, his middle name is still Jason is kind of cool. But then also, while all of this info is going, during this scene, he is doing a funny little thing where he gives the officers the finger and acts like it's a wind-up machine, and then he makes the line like, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't know that's what this did. That was improvised by Chris Pratt. That's funny. There's actually a lot of improv 
improvisation in this movie by Chris Pratt, but that is one of the more notable ones. Well, after all of these guys have been processed, they then get transferred to the kiln, which is a high-security prison. I don't know why a street fight constitutes putting them in a high-security prison, but it does. I don't think it's the street fight. I think it's the fact that they all have bounties on their heads for other things. Uh, that would make more sense. Yeah, I think that is that is the reason they go. But when they first go to the kiln, they're having a conversation about the orb. And in that conversation, Quill makes references to Pulp Fiction, Indiana Jones, and the Maltese Falcon in the course of about two minutes. He's just a pop culture legend. Basically, yeah. It's pretty great. We also then get, while they're being processed and hosed down and you know, decontaminated, Hooked on a Feeling is playing, and we get some funny stuff happening. Yeah, they get a uh, an orange shower that looks absolutely gross, but Chris Pratt does not look gross while getting it. Oh my god. <laughs> get away from me. Look, it's not just Chris Evans, it's all of the Chris's. Anyways, Quill gets electrocuted by one of the guys that takes his Walkman, and he sees that he takes his Walkman, he's like, hey, that's mine, and the guard electrocutes him. So that's fun. Uh, And then we find out once they're in the facility and they're being walked through, the inmates are very unhappy that Gamora is there because Thanos probably killed a lot of their family and she's his daughter. Not by choice, but she is. So they kind of blame her and they find out that Gamora is 100% going to be killed by the other inmates if she's not protected. Which then happens. Peter Quill finds out what's happening and he follows the guys that stole Gamora to this like weird like sewer place. It's weird. There's like grates and stuff, but I thought they were in a prison. I don't know. It's the laundry room. Who knows? Is it the laundry room? I don't know. I don't know. That's where shivings usually tend to happen in pop culture prisons. Oh, that's true. Well, they're also trying to kill Gamora. And then Drax the Destroyer shows up. And stops them. Yeah. Drax's sole purpose in life is to kill all of Ronan's people because Ronan killed his family. So Drax is a very simple man. Yes, he is. Him does not have big intelligence. Nope. But he got uh, he do got big muscles. True. Uh, but and a whole lot of makeup on. A whole lot. Yeah. How long does it take him to get into Dave Batista to get into makeup? Initially, it took them five hours to get all of the makeup and the prosthetic tattoos on him. I think they got it down to an average of about three hours during the filming of this one. And then filming for volume two, they got it down to 90 minutes. Wow. But in both movies, like for both movies, in order to get the makeup off, he had to sit in a sauna for about an hour and a half to sweat off the makeup. Oh, no. Because that was the only way to get it off. That super sucks. Yeah. Well, uh, we see that Peter Quill saves Gamora from all the goons and convinces Drax not to kill her. And then after that scene, after they save Gamora, where we cut to Sanctuary, which is the first time that we actually see Thanos. Yes. We get the full Thanos reveal. Which is not how he looks in in-game or the other one yeah the shade of purple that he is seems to constantly be changing that's yeah that's the biggest thing i noticed so after the thanos reveal it's a very quick scene like it's a thanos reveal i don't even know who he's talking to i think he's talking to nebula and then sends nebula after gamora i think so yeah i think they gamora initially went and then they figure out that gamora has betrayed them so he sends nebula to help ronin right because gamora gives her story about how she was kidnapped and she wants to you know she was kidnapped as a child and 
she hates Thanos and whatever. Yeah. But we cut back to the kiln, and for some reason, they're planning an escape, and Rocket needs some guy's leg. Yep, he's going to need that guy's leg. He also needs a battery or something that's up on the the main pillar of the area that a they're Quornex in. A Cornex battery. That's what oh, I wrote. wrote that down? Okay, Cornex cool. battery. Cornex battery, cool. But during the course of them planning, Groot goes and gets the battery. Wow. As, as Rocket is saying that everything's going to pop off as soon as this happens, so we need to do that last. And of course it happens first. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, that's what Groot rips off the wall first. Groot is also a simple tree. Yeah, just a simple little tree. So everything goes into panic at the kiln. Guards are running around shooting at things. We get a really cool scene of Rocket and Groot fighting off guards and the little defense turrets that fly and they're flying around them. They end up getting all the things that they need to break into like this middle guard tower type Mm -hmm. area. And once they finally do get into the middle guard area, Drax has convinced them to take him with him because he knew about the plan to escape Mm -hmm. and so he was holding it over them he was like take me with you once they're in the middle guard tower and they've they don't really have a plan after that gamora says i'm gonna die surrounded by the biggest idiots in the galaxy which is a very appropriate thing to say with this group they really are not the most intelligent they are not (laughs) we also find out that rocket didn't actually need the guy's leg he just thought it would be funny to think about the fact that he's just hopping around without his artificial leg now. Which is a theme that continues in the other movies that he's in. He keeps asking for random people's body parts. Yeah. Anyone who has an artificial limb of any kind, Rocket wants it. <laughs> it happens in Volume 2. It happens in Infinity War. It's it's great. <laughs> but the way that they get out of this Supermax prison is uh, Rocket turns off the artificial gravity and uses the bots that were previously attacking him. Now he has control over them. He puts the bots underneath the security tower and uses them as boosters to kind of shoot them out into uh, space. No, just out of where they're at so that they can go get their stuff and the ship. Right, which they go to the Milano and get Quill's ship. And and all of their stuff. But Quill has to go back for his Walkman. And Quill gives Gamora the case for the orb. Yeah. And says, don't leave without me. But then when they check, the orb was not actually in it. He tricked her to hang on to it to make sure that they would actually wait for him. So they wait for him. He comes with his Walkman and they get out of there. Which we also see in that scene when he's collecting his stuff. After he beats up the guard that's currently using his Walkman still to listen to music, he gets his Walkman back. We see that Peter still hasn't opened the present that his mom gave him. No, he has not. So Ronan and Nebula go to the kiln, and they literally murder everybody. After the Guardians of the Galaxy, which that's what their group name is, if you haven't gotten that by now. They have... Not yet. Not yet, but that the group. That's what we will know them as. Right. They, They leave the kiln successfully with all their stuff in tow. A little while later, Ronan and Nebula show up to the kiln, and they just murder everybody. There can be no witnesses. And we finally get to see Yondu's whistle arrow. Yeah. After they escape on Peter Quill's ship, the Ravagers show up and Yondu is like, boy, where's my orb? What'd you do with it? And we get to see his cool whistle arrow that he controls with the pitch of his whistle and it kills people immediately and it is very overpowered and very cool. It is very cool, yes. In that scene, Yondu sort of mocks Quill a little bit and is just speaking gibberish at one point and if you pay close attention to the background Sean Gunn playing Kraglin breaks in that scene. (laughs) You can see him like smiling as Michael Rooker 
It's just speaking gibberish. It's quite fun. Well, they end up going to Tivin, the collector. On Nowhere. Yes, which is a severed head of an ancient celestial being, and it's a mining colony. So it looks like there's a black market on this planet, or the whole planet is a black market. (laughs) Yeah, Nowhere is a bit of a, like, criminal underground type area. I think the black market is run by the collector, but before they actually get to him, there is a scene where several of them are betting on a fight or something between some animals, and Drax and rocket get into a fight yes they get drunk and we learn a little bit about rocket's past he talks about how he was experimented on and how he really feels about himself and it is really i don't know telling it makes you view him in a different way because up until this point you've just seen him as this force of chaos and at this point it kind of humanizes him in a way and it makes you double think about why he is the way that he is yeah there's there's a lot of talk from him about how he did not ask to be made and he's just kind of a somewhat tragic character that's written in a very like humorous way but every once in a while you get a scene of him just being serious and it's kind of heartbreaking a little bit yeah also in that scene before the before rocket and drags get really drunk uh we also get a really cute scene of a kid playing in the street and groot grows him a flower off of himself and (laughs) plucks it off and gives it to him Mm -hmm. which is really cute But then we actually get to see the collector and all of his collection. So in that collection, the things that I wrote down that I saw that were really cool to me was Cosmo the Space Dog. Cosmo the Space Dog! Psychic Russian Dog! So fun. There's also a dark elf in one of the cages there. We see Karina. We get to meet Karina, the servant to the collector. Mm -hmm. And she is pink. But we also see that Drax sends a message to Ronan where they are because he get, he's still drunk and he wants to fight Ronan all on his own. Yep. I don't know who was in charge of watching Drax. Probably Rocket. Well, they put shot, probably should have put Gamora in charge. Yep. But we get to see, we learn in this scene, talking to the Collector, we learn about the Infinity Stones for the first time in context to the MCU. We learned that they are six singularities that can only be brandished by beings of extraordinary power. So purple, we have the Power Stone, which is the one that we deal with in this movie. Yes, because we find out that that is what was inside the orb that everyone's been after and pondering this entire movie. And unfortunately, while they're discussing the Power Stone, while it's exposed, it's kind of contained in this in the orb like but it's open so that you can see it the servant lady that we just talked about karina uh she grabs the stone i think in a suicide attempt because she's tired of being i guess under the servitude of the collector and she's destroyed by it and a bunch of other stuff is blown up as well yeah they basically destroy the entire collector's collection this whole little lab area it's destroyed so while they are discussing this before everything goes to crap and everything gets exploded they make the decision that they're going to take the power stone to the nova Corps because it's too powerful to be left in anybody else's hands plus gamora doesn't want thanos to get his hands on it but unfortunately after everything blows up ronan shows up because drax called him So Drax fights Ronan the Accuser and it goes poorly because Ronan beats him up pretty bad and leaves him in this yellow pool of gross stuff. Yeah, it's some of the stuff that's being mined from the head of the Celestial. I don't even want to know. I think that's the only reason that Drax actually survives is because of that material. Whatever whatever it is. is. Yeah. Brain matter, maybe? Mm, 
I don't want to know. Who knows? But Yondu shows up because Yondu's still after Quill to get that orb back. Quill uses his ship to pilot another ship. Yeah, he gets a... They're using, like, these mining ships, and he uses, like, the little hands on it to grab the controls on a different ship. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And as Ronan is kicking Drax's butt, Nebula also shows up to fight Gamora. So everybody's just showed up to nowhere all at once. And there's a lot going on. We see that Nebula super resents Gamora, which we find out a little bit about that in later movies. Why that's so drastic. Yeah. But she super is not a fan of Gamora. And Quill actually sacrifices himself to Yondu to save Gamora. Yeah, Gamora gets blasted out into space and Quill goes out and puts his mask on her and like lets Yondu know his exact coordinates. And he survives in space just long enough for the Ravagers to pick them up, which no human would be able to do. Right. Womp, womp, womp. Also, we get to see that Groot saves Drax, and Rocket wants to run, but Groot wants to save Quill and Gamora, and Drax does as well. And Rocket is very angry. He's such an angry little raccoon. He is a very angry raccoon. We see that Ronan actually gets a hold of the stone and takes the stone for himself, and he sets it in his weapon, which is like this big cool hammer thing. Very cool hammer, yes. One thing that I noticed is that Thanos instills a lot of betrayal because Gamora betrays him and then Ronan betrays him and Nebula betrays him all in the course of this one movie. Right. Like, he does not have very loyal followers. Yeah, that's what happens when you murder their entire family and brainwash them to be your child. Yeah, not good. Yeah. So Rocket does come to the rescue after the Ravagers had talked to Quill and they find out what was actually in the orb and they kind of have like a come to Jesus meeting between Yondu, Quill, and Gamora. They explain the whole situation and Rocket threatens to blow them all up unless they hand over Quill and Gamora. Yeah, in that scene, I think we see that Kraglin really is the is the morality of the Ravagers. Like, he's the one that convinces Yondu, like, hey, maybe we should listen to him. And it's kind of, kind of something that we see throughout. Like, the character of Kraglin is just sort of in the background, but he actually is a good guy. Yeah. And we see that time and time again. Also, we, this whole movie, Drax, Gamora, Quill, Rocket, and Groot all really don't work together as a team Except for when they do. They, it does, Like, their whole composition makes no sense. But when they work together as a team, they work. They really do. So they decide that they're going to team up with Yondu because Yondu's going to fight Ronan. Yeah. They're going to they're gonna team up with the Ravagers. They're going to go try and save Xandar because that's where Ronan is headed. And when they are making this decision, they're all in a circle talking. And when they finally make the decision, they're all, they all like stand up to signify that they're going to work together. And Rocket has the great line of, Here we are, standing up. Bunch of jackasses standing in a circle. <laughs> What's fun about that is that Sean Gunn not only played Kraglin in this movie, but also did the motion capture for Rocket. And he improvised that line. So he just ad-libbed that. And then later on, when Bradley Cooper was doing the voiceover, they just kept it in there. And also in this scene, we have Quill making the comment that he has 12% of a plan. So we get another 12% in the MCU, because that's a number that comes up quite a bit. And the only reason Yondu is helping is because he wants the stone. He wants to take the stone from Ronan. And that's pretty clear from the get-go. But I think that they're willing to work with him because they need him. Yeah, they, they really do. So they agree to give him the, the stone once they're finished. Also, Rocket is a gremlin. 
because he asked for one of the Ravager's eyes in that scene. He goes, I'm going to need that guy's eye. And they're like, no, no, he doesn't need the eye. He's joking. <laughs> it's great. But then we see all of them wearing Ravager gear, having their, their cool slow motion lineup, walking, and Rocket is the, the one to watch when they do that. Yes. <laughs> he is rather amusing. So... They call the Nova Corps and let them know what's going on. So yeah. they are the Ravagers and the Guardians have teamed up with each other, but now they're also contacting the Nova Corps to let them know what's going on so that hopefully the Nova Corps can team up with them. Yeah, which they do. They convince them that, hey, we need to work together. And the Nova Corps is like, all right, yeah, we'll trust you. And there's this really cool fight. You see actually how large the Dark Aster is. It's huge. It's humongous. And it's got all these little tiny ships around it that are basically firing at Xandar. And Yondu's ship goes down. The Ravager ship goes down. And Quill's ship is able to break through the hull of the Dark Aster and go, like, into it. And we also get to see that the Nova Corps uses those little starships to create a barrier against the Dark Aster. And it's just really cool the way that their ships all, like, line up with one another. And when they enter the Dark Aster, it is pitch black. And we get to see this cool scene of Groot making fireflies to light up the ship. Yeah, Groot's got a lot of abilities. And it's kind of cool seeing the different ones that he's got. Right. And Nebula, who has teamed up with Ronan at this point, she betrayed Thanos, as we said earlier, she confronts them and Drax pulls out a bazooka and bazookas them. We also get to finally see Ronan in a fight. Yeah. Like a legitimate against a lot of different people fight, not just against Drax, because that was just kind of a butt whooping for Drax. Ronan is a like crazy good fighter. Mm-hmm. There is a reason he is feared and has cronies. We also get to see that Nebula has like a lot of implants. Like she has a lot of body modifications. Yeah, most of her body at this point is implants, which we find out why in volume two. Right. And we get to see that Ronan is successful in destroying the shield that the Nova Corps has put up. Only because he has the Power Stone. Correct. I think the... Uh, the I don't think he would have gotten through that barricade if he hadn't had the Power Stone. Right. We also, unfortunately, see that there are some of the ships that are suicide bombing Xandar mm-hmm. in the attempt to just destroy as much as they possibly can. Yep. And we get to see the Ravagers step up and help protect the city. Yeah, there's a really cool scene where they've got all of their, like, individual fighters, smaller versions of the Milano, basically, and a bunch of them just go and point them upwards and just start shooting down these suicide bombers. It's a really cool scene. Like, that entire space battle right above the city is really cool, and there's a lot to it. So, the big ship the Dark Aster, is going to crash into Xandar. And we get to see that at the end of the fight, Nebula refuses help. And I've noticed that her and Loki are very similar in fights. Like, Loki doesn't want help at all. Nebula doesn't want help. They're like the strong, independent, villainous types. Yeah. We get to see that also, Rocket crashes a Ravager ship into the Dark Aster, uh, and I think in an attempt to save everybody. Yeah, because they're, they're all facing against Ronin, and he crashes through to save him from Ronin. But unfortunately, they do take Ronin out. But the Dark Aster is going down. Yeah, and they're going they're going to go down with it. Yeah, and they have no shielding, no nothing, except that Groot is there and has a lot of abilities, including growing himself into a large ball to protect everybody else. And Rocket, you know, tries to convince him not to do it, and we get the heartbreaking we are Groot line because throughout this entire movie the only thing Groot ever says is I am Groot. 
which, you know, Rocket understands Groot, but this one time he says it different and oh my god. Watching this in theaters, I swear my heart broke in this scene. Just, it is crazy that a character with two lines can be so moving. Right. Like, it's it's crazy. But, I mean, the, the cool thing about it is that while he does only have two lines, Vin Diesel voices Groot. And there's a lot to this character that you don't think about. Like, playing Groot helped Vin Diesel get through the loss of one of his best friends, Paul Walker. You know, they worked together on the Fast and Furious movies, and they were really good friends. So when Paul Walker died, that happened, like, right before Vin Diesel started, uh, was, was cast as Groot. And he has said that playing someone who has such a joy for life helped him get over that death. And so it's it's really cool seeing this character and there is a group to English translation of every line in the script so that he knew what emotion to put into it. So we're hearing I am Groot, but he knows what is being said. And so it, it really helps his characters. So throughout the entire movie, sure, all he ever says is I am Groot. But when that switches to we are Groot, it's hard hitting. Yeah, but our... Our group of heroes is saved by Groot's sacrifice because the Dark Aster does crash into Xandar and it's a wreck. So they rise from the ashes of the ship and for some reason there's a radio that was on Quill's ship that's playing music. Yeah, he had it blasting the whole time and it's it's still going. So just in the background, this song's going. <laughs> right. And Ronan, unfortunately, is still alive. Yeah, he crawls out and is about to destroy Xandar and... <laughs> Quill distracts him. Not before Ronin gives them their name. Guardians he, of the Galaxy. He calls them the Guardians of the Galaxy, so they have a name now. But Quill distracts him, calls him a turd blossom, and... He says, dance off, bro. Me and you. Right now. Yeah. Is it Rocket or Drax? One of them sees the bazooka from earlier. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's Rocket happens to be close to it and quill gives him just enough time with the dance off that they're able to shoot a bazooka at the infinity stone <laughs> and it shatters ronan's hammer it doesn't even affect the infinity stone oh, no, not at all but the hammer just it's pieces but then quill grabs the stone to try and get it away from ronan which we saw in the beginning of this movie when a normal person grabs the stone they die right but Quill is able to survive long enough for the other Guardians to grab onto him, and basically they share the power of the Power Stone and are all able to survive. Which, something that cool that happened is that when Drax grabs their hand, all of his tattoos light up. Yeah, it's really cool looking. And so all together, they defeat Ronan, and they put the stone safely in storage with the Nova Corps. Yeah, they, they get it into the orb, and then Yondu's like, yo. Give me the orb. Which... Quill does. He hands it over to him. And then the Ravagers leave. And during that scene, they find out between a conversation between Kraglin and Yondu that they were supposed to give Quill over to his father, but they kept him instead. So we find out that that teaser at the beginning that it was actually his father picking him up. It's not. Obviously, he stayed with the Ravagers. We still don't know who Quill's father is. Right. But we do know that they know who Quill's father is. And that Quill is half Terran and his dad is something ancient. Yep. And that is that is all we know from this movie so far. But then we see that Quill did not give Yondu 
the power stone. He gave him the orb, but inside the orb is the troll doll from earlier, which Yandu kind of chuckles about and puts with his line of tchotchkes on his captain's chair. <laughs> yes, and we th- then we get the scene of the Nova Corps, the, the power stone being placed in the hands of the Nova Corps so that they could keep it safe. And Drax's new goal is he wants to go after Thanos. Yeah. So they are cleared of all charges and given back their ship. They get a new ship. They give Quill a brand new ship. With the same paint job and everything. So it is still just as nice looking as ever. And we see Rocket picking up a twig from Groot that grows a face and arms. And we see that baby Groot is still alive. Yes. And... (laughs) And then they they fly off saying that they're going to do a little bit of good, a little bit of bad. And we get to see that Quill opens the letter from his mom finally. And his mom is the one that calls him Star-Lord. And he gets the awesome mix volume two. Oh yeah. I think that might be some of the best sequel bait ever. Yes. The awesome mix volume two and baby Groot dancing. Yes. um, At the end. It's, yeah. It's great. So good. And then the mid credit scene for this one is Drax doing stuff on Quill's ship. And every time Drax turns his back, Baby Groot starts dancing. And then anytime he turns around to look at him, Baby Groot freezes. And it's very cute. And then the end credit scene is the Collector. We're back with the Collector, who I guess is rebuilding his lab. I think he's he's sitting in like the rubble of his lab. And Cosmo the Space Dog is licking him, I believe. And then we see that in the collection was Howard the duck one of marvel's most unfortunate characters which i didn't catch that the first time we watched it so i only learned about howard the duck and his existence this time around when we watched it and you were like howard the duck and i was like i don't know who that is and i said count yourself lucky but yeah that was i mean the end credit scene is like eh, it's whatever but it is a fun movie it is it was so good all right so what are your thoughts and how would you rate this movie as a regular movie and then as a superhero movie Honestly, there is no beating around the bush. 10 and 10. Yeah, this is one of my favorite (laughs) Marvel movies. There is nothing to say behind these ratings. I love this movie so much. Yeah. Like, I cannot say anything other than 10. Yeah, I was gonna also give it a 10 for a regular movie, and also as a superhero movie, I would give it a 10. It's one of the better ones. Yeah, and it's, it's crazy because it's not even really a superhero movie it's a sci-fi movie you've got like a half earth man and a bunch of aliens none of them are really superheroes they're just aliens but it's such a good team up of anti-heroes that end up making a good superhero and it's just a whole lot of fun it is Uh, maybe i would drop down to a nine because of those things when it comes to superhero movie but i can't bring myself to do it yeah it's a good movie um do you have anything else to say i mean i felt like we were pretty like yes good movie end of threats end it yeah i'm usually so hypocritical but i'm like no chris pratt spent six months and lost 60 pounds to get into shape for this movie he deserves a 10 if nothing else in this movie deserves a 10 chris pratt doing that deserves a 10 yes Thank you guys so much for being here and for listening. And make sure you follow us on Instagram and Twitter at The Marvelous Duo. And as always, special thanks to Mikael Bureau for the use of his music for our intro and outro. We'll leave a link in all of our descriptions to his YouTube channel. We will be back next time with Age of Ultron, the next Avengers movie. Yeah, Avengers Age of Ultron. We are going to go from a 10 to definitely not a 10. Oh no. <laughs> 
<laughs> Alright guys, thanks so much for listening. We super appreciate it. If you want to see more stuff, make sure you follow us on our social media so that you're notified when we post that. And you guys have a marvelous day. Bye! <laughs>